You're listening to Broken Hearted with Althea Branton. Join me for unscripted conversation about heartbreak in all its forms. Instead of getting over heartbreak, move through it. Face your pain and see what happens next. Welcome to Broken Hearted. I'm Althea Branton, and I'm so glad you're here. Stacy Brookman is a resilience and life storytelling expert and who interviews fascinating people on the Real Life Resilience podcast. She helps smart, outwardly confident women who secretly have low self-esteem issues due to an emotionally abusive partner take back control and begin to develop the resilience they need to be themselves again. Her free monthly webinar will give you four simple proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story in just seven days. She believes that life is a story and it's never too late to start telling yours. Stacy and I have an amazing conversation about the stages of a breakup. Breakups are not just you have that conversation, I'm it's over, it's not you, it's me or whatever, and then that's it. Breakups actually happen over time and it takes you have to go through one phase and then go through another before you can finally end a relationship. A few notes about this particular episode. When I first came up with the concept of this podcast, initially it was called Dear Broken Heart. Of course, the name has since been changed to Broken Hearted, so you will hear me say thank you for being on Dear Broken Heart, but just know the podcast is actually called Broken Hearted. And another fun fact, this was the first conversation I ever recorded for Broken Hearted, and I'm super proud of it. Enjoy to this amazing conversation we're about to have today. Now, the concept of breakups, everybody sees it as it's just a one-time thing, that awkward conversation. You're sitting in front of your soon-to-be ex and they just say to you, it's over. But does that actually happen? Today, we're talking with Stacey Brookman and we're gonna talk about the idea that breakups aren't just a one-time thing. Mm -hmm. Breakups actually happen in pieces. First, there's the emotional breakup, and then the technical breakup. So here today to discuss this amazing and brilliant and super exciting topic is Stacey Brookman. Stacey, welcome. Thank you for being on Your Broken Heart. So glad to be here. I'm glad you're doing this too, because so many people need to be better informed about breakups and what to do about their broken heart. So thank you for what you're doing in the world. Appreciate that. Thank you. I'm, I'm truly honored and grateful for your kind words. Tell me, Stacy. So when we had first discussed the concept of two breakups, I thought to myself, oh, I had to think for a minute because this has actually happened to me in my own journey. I have, I have gone through the two breakups, but I want to hear from you. How did you first come about this concept? Well, I experienced that as well. And in fact, you know, the, I, I suspect that a majority of people experience these two different types of breakups. It's rarely like in the movies, oh, you break up and you go away and you know never to be seen again, or they come back together and everything is really cool and you live happily ever after. Mm, not really. <laughs> so I actually had, has, have been married. I have an amazing husband right now, but in the past, I was married to a sociopath. And I came from an era and a generation and a family dynamic that 
you don't get divorced. You tough it out. You, you know, hang in there for the kids. You do everything you can to make it work. Otherwise, you don't, like, you don't want to be the one that quits. And I didn't. I didn't want to be the one that quits. However, I had no idea at the time that I was married to a sociopath. And this sociopath did so much psychological and emotional and financial and spiritual and sexual damage to me that I, I was lost. My brain was in chaos. So over the course of about 10 years of this craziness, and I, I, like, again, I had no idea it was a sociopath. I had no idea. I didn't have the words for what was happening. I knew it was a quirky relationship. <laughs> <laughs> so if you ever think you have a quirky relationship, you need to dig deeper. <laughs> that quirk was really weird and just um, a, a very awful. And here's what I thought. And, and a lot of your listeners may think this too. I thought I was being strong, strong for my kids, strong for my marriage. I, was, I, was, I could tough it out because that's who I was and I, can, I could handle it. And what I realized was that strength was simply masking a very sad way of living, of accepting emotional abuse. And so over the course of these nearly 10 years, I, it, my love, my initial love, I realized he never loved me in the first place. It, I was just a, a game, a toy to him. But my love, uh, what I thought was love, was slowly eroded. And by the time the girls were in grade school, I have two, two girls um, who are young adults now, amazingly well-adjusted in spite of this. They, um, you know, I, I'm like, this is, this is not right. I, I don't like it. I was hiding. I was hiding to my friends. I was lying, trying to say everything's fine. Um, in fact, I just did a live stream on this. What do you say when someone says, hey, how are you doing? I was the queen of, Hey, it's going great. Everything's fine. What, how are you doing? And what, you know, you just do that and you ignore what's really happening. Come to find out people really could kind of see things not happening. Um, We're really good at, at masking at yeah. on that mask and, and not showing up to the world, knowing that behind that mask, we are full of pain. Yeah. And that, that is actually emotionally, psychologically, and physically damaging to us when we tamp that down. Mm. So I, I was limping along and I'm like, this is it. I am waiting until the girls are 18. This is, I am done. I am not accepting this anymore. And I was, you know, the first person to divorce in my, in, in my um, family, you know, we just really didn't have that. And so in fact, my sisters and my brother, everybody's like stuck with these, it's generational, uh, you know, tough relationships. But anyway, that's a whole nother episode for you. <laughs> anyway, I, I was, I'm like, this is it. I'm done. So I pretended I did the things I needed to, to survive. I tried to protect my girls as much as possible. And one day I, you know, so I had that emotional breakup already over the course of nine years. And one day I was paying bills at my desk and my daughter came in, she was uh, seven at the time, and she wanted to get on the family computer, so I let her and, and she couldn't use the password. And so I went and did the password and my husband's email was up. And I discovered 
his Craigslist posting advertising himself for relationship purposes. Oh. And I'm like, ooh, no. Ooh and is right. I, I'm like, I can't, I can't take this anymore. And you know what? I did not make that final decision for myself. And a lot of us don't make that final decision for ourselves. Mm. I realized that what I had been involved in was actually emotional abuse. And I didn't want my two little girls, they're seven and nine at the time. I did not want them growing up to get in the, involved in those type of relationships because just by simply observing how we reacted as a family, interacted as a family, how he treated me, they were in danger of experiencing the exact same relationship. And that broke my heart. I, I, I couldn't stand that. I'm like, this is it. I am not accepting. He's going to give me some sort of disease. Um, in addition to it being so incredibly wrong, in addition to the other abuse, financial, sexual, um, emotional abuse that I had taken on over those nine years, and so I went to an attorney to start that technical breakup. And that's when it, you know, all hell broke loose. It was, it was really two years of hell from there, but it was the best thing I could have ever done for myself and my girls and get, get them out of that um, relationship, get them out of that environment. Of course, yes, they had to go back, but I kept trying to, model then great family dynamics, great relationships, great, you know, so I, there was a protective factor for that. Absolutely. So as, as a mom myself, I, I know that that mama bear, you know, mother lion kind of instinct kicks in. You want right. to protect your young from anything and everything at all costs. But exactly. First of all, if we go back to the emotional piece mm -hmm. for you to be able to recognize that you were in a situation of emotional abuse. Yeah. Is so, and that's incredible because most people aren't really recognizing those kinds of signs. When we hear the term abuse, we automatically think scars, black eye, right. something physical. Right. For we some do. reason, it's not acceptable to think of abuse as verbal, as words. Absolutely. Words have so much power. And they can be just as hurtful as a fist or a weapon or anything else that can be physically harmful to the body. Yeah. And if you have a codependent personality or you've had trauma, well, actually most of everybody, everyone's had trauma as a child. Nobody escapes childhood practically without some sort of trauma. You may have gotten into this relationship allowing for excuses. Oh, he's had a bad day at work. Oh, he's, you know, he's you know, it's, it's tough. Like for, for me, my ex could not keep a job longer than six months. His boss didn't do what he recommended. He didn't like his coworkers. And like, he would just walk out. It was <laughs> always something. Always something. And so I was always like, I'm, you know, I feel bad for him. I tried to get him a job here. I tried to, like I was doing more for him. When you find you're doing more for the other person than they are doing for themselves, or doing for you, then that's an imbalance that's not right. Mm -hmm. That's a red flag right there. But mm -hmm. here's the thing, knowledge is power. When you start Googling, hey, verbal abuse, or when you start 
you know, Googling, um, my husband is upset or angry, or you start to understand, oh, oh my gosh, that's exactly what happened to me. That's exactly what he said. Because these people who are emotional, psychological, verbal abusers go from the same playbook, it seems like. I, um, I, I started when I, I discovered the book Walking on Eggshells. This was, gosh, mid gosh, mid 2000s. And that or whenever it came out, I think I'm like, that's exact that that's me. I walk on eggshells. Whenever I walk in the door, I have no idea what's going to happen if he's going to be in a good mood or bad mood. And they do that actually on purpose, just by the way, uh, narcissists, sociopaths, they do that to keep you off kilter. Mm. They keep you up late at night. So you lack sleep. They talking and trying to, you know, work, quote unquote, work things out. And then the next day, oh, no, we never said that or we never agreed to that or what, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, they keep you unbalanced purposefully. So what I would encourage everybody to do, first of all, is if you're starting to see some of these things or, you know, some people see them right after their wedding day or they're in a relationship and like you're, you know, you're stuck. You've got a house together. You've got an apartment. You've got bank accounts, whatever. Start protecting yourself right away uh, as you're investigating. Do a lot of Google searches. Um, actually, don't use your own computer or your own phone until you clean those up. Um, it, you know, mine had um, keystroke loggers on my computer and actually had a bug in my car listening to the conversations that I was having and getting my passwords. Like I had gotten on a, a forum for I thought it thought it was borderline personality disorder. And so folks look that up if you can. I mean, that's a mild, mild, mild. I think it's bad enough, but it was really mild compared to what I was experiencing. So I I did some research and I was in a forum like, hey, what about this? And what about that? And they're like, yeah, that's exactly it. And here's what happened to me. And, and it was great to find a community of other people who were experiencing the same things. Mm-hmm. To know However, that you're not alone. Exactly. But I got on there one day and I, quote unquote, had typed in some things that were not me. I had not been in there and I realized he had gotten on my computer, gotten the, into that password um, protected um, forum and was acting as if he were me and also understanding that I was doing some research and so I would encourage you, everybody, to protect themselves. So I went on a tangent there, but you're right. So this emotional breakup is first. When you start doing some research, when you're starting to, to realize, you know what, this is more than just a tough relationship that I need to, to, to tough it out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not temporary. It's lifelong. It's um, something that, um, that I really need to change. And you need to change for you. And you're worth it. You are worth having an amazing relationship. It's not a failure on your part. These people are, are not good human beings. And so you need to get over that guilt and that shame and start making plans. It's, so then, then you like, go into the technical. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of this started as, so you, you, the emotional breakup started as a decision. At the it core did. of it, it started as a decision that this relationship was no longer for me. You know, I don't know if it started as that because I was still like, 
you know, what can I do about this walking on eggshells? I was still thinking I can fix it, right? Where we like tend to be fixers. What can I do to make him happier? What can I do to, to ease the tension? What, what am I doing? What, you know, how can I fix me? Ultimately, I discovered what we all discover. It's not about you. I mean, out in the, you know, in the other world where people are, you know, watch TV and, you know, they're, they're in these sitcoms. Yeah. When you look inside and say, I need to change myself. You know what? That's bull crap. <laughs> when you're in a relationship like this, yeah. and that actually keeps people in abusive relationships. It mm-hmm. keeps people in abusive relationships because you need to work on you. And even if you go to oftentimes your church, your pastor, whatever, if they are not trauma informed, they're like, you need to try harder to be a better wife. You need to, you know, oftentimes it's a meal. The green beans aren't cooked just right. And your, your spouse goes off the handle. And if I just cook those right, I know he likes them with bacon, but I just didn't do it. I didn't have it. I didn't want to go to the store. You know, it is not your fault. So start doing at some a deep point, dive. At some point you start to realize that no matter your best efforts, mm-hmm. no yeah. matter everything, even if it's coming from the most genuine, loving part of yourself, no matter what you do, this other person is never going to be happy. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it just takes like sometimes decades. For me, it took, you know, nine years. And Mm -hmm. by the time we were divorced, it was, uh, shoot, almost 11 years because he spent almost a year actually married to somebody else. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> he was a big mess in the end because he wouldn't sign the paperwork. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so that emotional divorce comes on slowly as you realize, you start to realize, wait a minute, this might not be normal. This might not be my fault. This might not be something that I can fix. And then you start into your research. You do the research. You work on yourself to heal, which means loving yourself enough to stand up for yourself. Did forgiveness, self-forgiveness take a place in this when you were going through the emotional breakup? You know, I didn't understand the the concept of self-compassion and self-compassion forgiveness. I had no idea. I was just plowing through, trying to get through the days. You know, you're just like (laughs) counting the days, hours, and seconds until the kids turn 18. Mm -hmm. Um, I I couldn't even imagine life after that. I couldn't imagine being happy. I just knew I was going through a really tough time and just like, okay, today's Friday. Today's Saturday. Today is Sunday. Today, you know, you just try to get through your days let me tell you, I mean, there are some amazing days out there for you beyond this abusive relationship. There are, I mean, even if it, if you don't want to call it abusive, that's fine. Call it a tough relationship. If you, cause I, at first I'm like, I, I, it's not abuse. I can't, I can't say I've been abused, you know, because you're and thinking of that old, that thinking of being hit, bruised, broken bones. Yep shoved mm-hmm. you know and i kept thinking to myself okay i hope he does shove me one shove i'm out of here one and then one time he grabbed my hand i'm like is that enough darn no that's not enough and i'm like mm. come on <laughs> you know at my future self my later self of like course. come on 
it does not have to be physical abuse to be very damaging abuse. And oftentimes, emotional abuse, psychological abuse becomes physical abuse, ultimately, as the person ages, the narcissist, the sociopath ages, and they start losing control and they start seeing the end, uh, it, it oftentimes turns into physical abuse as well. So now you have gone through the emotional breakup. You knew either your heart, your head, anywhere in your sphere, you knew that this relationship was over and that you had, it had run its course, mm -hmm. it was done, and that you needed to take your girls, model a whole new life for them, right, and whole new existence for them. Because ultimately, if you had stayed in this relationship, they would have watched their mother try to do everything she could to please somebody who just wasn't going to be happy. Right. Absolutely. So I, I totally, as a mom myself, I totally understand how modeling that behavior for your girls is not something that you wanted to keep doing. Nope. So now let's shift gears to the technical side of it. So now you have gone through the emotional. You have just, this is it. You, you know in your heart, this is done. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about the technical side. What, okay. after the emotional shift that you made, knowing, recognizing, and also coming clean to yourself, to, to say yeah. to yourself, self, I am in an emotionally abusive relationship and I want out. Mm -hmm. You have gone through that process. Now let's talk a little bit about how you went through the technical aspect of it. Yeah. So, well, first of all, you have to, I, I actually went through this process of, of I'm a bad person because I want a divorce. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where I accepted that. I don't care if I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person. I have to get out. And, and so I was still planning on getting out when, when um, the girls were 18, but then this trigger happened. I, you know, I saw the Craigslist posting. It was a confirmation of that. And I'm like this, this boom, that's it. So immediately I went to my attorney. I was a professional woman. I was the only one making any uh, money at the time. No, actually he had a small job, I think for a couple months, but um, I went to my attorney and on the way home, I called my mom. And I said, here's, you know, and there is shame involved in that. You know, my family doesn't do divorce. Like we're, you know, Christian. We just, you know, just doesn't, doesn't happen. And she loves me. My mom is unconditional love. And you, it's just amazing. And um, she's like, I'm with you. You let me know what I can do. And just broke down in tears. That was on the way home. And my attorney had said, Hey, if, if this has happened with this Craigslist posting, get a copy of that. Take your computer to a computer forensics person, which apparently they're out there, and uh, get them to verify that this divorce will be quick and easy. <laughs> you think it happened like that? Not a chance. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so actually, um, I didn't do it right then because I was towards the end of the day and I was like, oh, I don't want to do this right you know, towards the evening. So slept on it that night. The next morning I came downstairs to get it. I was going to grab it, go on my way to work. And, and so I would be out of the house and the computer was missing. And he 
came barreling into the room and he said, I know you're trying to get a divorce. I am going to take your job. I am going to take the house. I'm going to take the kids. I am going to take you down. Like spittle was spraying out from his mouth. And I, my heart was pounding. I had never been so scared in my entire life. And I realized like what, what habit could, could my mom have told him? No, you know, cause like trying to keep us together. No, she wouldn't have. Did my attorney, like, was she already his attorney? Could she have like fooled me into thinking, you know, so I could lay it all out on the line for her? No. I've come to find out. So I, you know, my turn, I called my attorney. I said, you know, is this true? What happened? And he, she's like, no, <laughs> that would be illegal. I couldn't do that. I'm on, I'm your attorney. She said, what you want? I, I said, how could he hear when I'm on the phone? And so she said, take your car to the police barracks. And I did. And the policewoman there felt underneath the dash. No, actually, first I went to, um, she said, you might have a bug in your car. And I went to the spy store. There's a spy store in Rochester, New York. Go figure. What? <laughs> you know? So I went there and this old crusty guy, he's like, oh, well, I said, how do I tell if there's a bug in my car? And he said, well, when I sell these things, I tell them to put them under the dash. It's the easiest way. So I'm like, okay, he, he's probably the one that sold it to him. And so I went out in the parking lot and felt underneath the dash and a little wire fell down. And I knew right away that was it because it said Radio Shack. It was, and so then I took it to the, my car to the police barracks and a policewoman traced that all the way up to the, um, the column of the steering column and there was a little microphone there. And he had been recording my conversations like for a hard, hard, hard telling how long. And uh, so that was the, the, the beginning of the technical divorce, which mm -hmm. was an incredible, incredibly expensive, incredibly long battle because until luckily I got an attorney who was trauma informed and she actually had had her own divorce with a sociopath, a narcissist. And so she knew the tricks, the tricks to get more, you know, uh, court time to break you down in your finances. And um, ultimately, over the course of the next two years, I was able to, um, I, I was able to get away. It was, it was tough. Getting divorced in New York really sucks. <laughs> so initially, they're like, okay, um, you guys have to, we want the kids to be stable. So you live in the house for three days, and then you live in the house for three days, and then you alternate. Well, guess what? Every single thing in the house that was of value disappeared during his three days. I could do nothing about it. And um, finally, finally they said, um, okay, we, we're seeing some of this happening. So Stacy, you can live in the house with the kids. And um, so then he broke into the house when I was living there with the girls and cut the wires on the heater in the middle of winter in Rochester, New York. No, and for anyone listening who is not familiar with this part of the world, that's a quite a chilly huge thing. Huge snow, yeah. And then he called Child Protective Services the next day and said, "Hey, she doesn't have heat for the kids. You need to take them away." 
And luckily I had like, gosh, we, you know, luckily I found a, a repair person right away. So when the, you know, social worker came, she said, we have a report of no heat. And I said, Oh, really? Um, first of all, who reported that? She's like, I can't say. And I said, well, come on in. It's warm. We were playing a game on the floor and, you know, it was warm and toasty because the guy had repaired it just that day. <laughs> and I said, I wonder who would do that because I didn't tell anybody that, and, and I have pictures and the, the guy verified the wires were sliced straight across and I showed up to her. She said, I get this. Sometimes this happens. I'm so sorry. And that again was just part of a really bad uh, two years, but well, well worth the, the tough part. Um, ultimately the girls had their own attorney and a psychologist and ultimately the, the court started seeing some of these games games after games after games. And they said, listen, we think it's in the kids' best interest that you leave. And because I had tried to leave, tried to, and you know, normally they won't allow it. And so I moved from New York to Texas with the girls. Now they had still had to go back three times a year, understand that. But um, at least I was their major, major influence. And um, so that was, it was very tough. Yeah. Very tough time in my life and in the kids' lives because it was, you know, breakup of their family. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't, you know, um, and so I tried to do everything I could to protect them and to help them understand without telling them anything that went, that really went on. Um, that was my next question for you, Stacy. was throughout all of this, through these two breakups, the emotional and the technical, you've got your girls. Mm -hmm. Yes. What did you do to ease them through this? Because I'm pretty confident there's no easy way to a let them know that you know mummy is not going to be married to daddy anymore because they were young at the time. Right. But this is this is still a family unit. These are your children. How did you guide them through this process? Well, I knew that I wanted them to come through this psychologically intact. Right. And so we actually lived with my mom and dad. So having family uh, for a while, having family around was incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. Having um, like my mom care for the kids when I went to work, um, you know, doing things. So we always I um, there's this uh, company called kids out and about dot com. They're in so many different cities. We would and they have like a list of fun things to do every week, like here in your area, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, in the Rochester area, and then whatever. And we would go, we would together pick things out and say, okay, what are we going to do this weekend? And so we would do, go to an um, Indian teepee one on Saturday morning and then go to, you know, um, what do you call that? The Oh, the Home Depot had the kids, you know, have the kids' crafts every Saturday, every other Saturday or something. We would go to do that. And then we would go to this cultural festival. Like we had a, that was our, kind of our new tradition is we do things together as fun as a family. Experiences. And that, that experiences and that went a long way. That went a long way. And, and then also I, started to, cause I knew that he was psychologically damaging. Like he would like buy them clothes when they were there and then not let them take them home because he's like, I don't want these clothes in your mother's house. 
Well, by the time they went in the summer, they were <laughs> grown out of those clothes. So I'm like, that's really weird, but you can't denigrate the other person, right? So I used things that I saw or the kids, kids saw on TV or on the news or you know in real life or whatever. I, I use that to say, well, look at that. Do you think that's really right for him to say that? And it just so happened to kind of mirror what was happening in our lives. And so I think making those observations and helping the kids think through what's right and what's wrong or what might not be appropriate thinking helps protect them. So they were using their critical thinking skills or I was helping guide them into, you know, you know, think that person um, or we would be at the mall and, and, you know, there would be somebody, whether it be a mother or a father, um, really just screaming at their kids. And so we would talk through, wow, do you think that's really effective? I wonder if that person's at the end of their rope. What might be a better way for the parent to communicate to the child? And so I, of course, I tried to be a model of really good, even though it was so hard, <laughs> so hard. I think the worst thing I did actually, one of the things um, was when, when my ex would call and I'm like, I, and he would call and say, your teacher misses you, your dog misses you, your friends miss you. And I'm like, this is psychologically damaging. And I was so mad. The ringtone on my phone, I made it um, that thing from Star Trek, intruder alert, intruder alert, intruder alert. Because <laughs> <laughs> you and have so, to find a way through it, right? They're well, when he called and, and the, the next time, and I'm like, oh, that's your dad. <laughs> oh, dear. My youngest was like, mom, that's not very nice. And I'm like, oh, darn, you're right. It's not. So I had to change it. But I... <laughs> like, darn it. I so wanted to have that ringtone. <laughs> See, here's the funny thing about um, this relationship. Even though you're no longer married to this person, the relationship has evolved. Mm. Now, yes. because the two of you have the two girls, right. you're involved with each other for the rest of your lives. Yeah. As yeah. long as these girls are on this planet, walking, breathing, living, doing amazing things, you will still need to have this person in your life. Right. Now, this How is where... You navigate that because now yeah. you know you cannot... If, there was, if the girls weren't there, this would be easy. You would mm -hmm. never hear from this person again. But now, Absolutely. it's different now. Yeah. You guys have to be involved. Yeah. It's uh, once this I learned from Kim Saeed. She's the no contact queen. I mean, she's like no, no contact. When you are involved with these type of people or divorcing these type of people or in a former relationship, you have to go no contact mm -hmm. because they will suck you back in. They will play mind games with you. They will do all kinds of things to just screw you over, continue to screw you over even after you're out of the relationship and they and continue to do it with your kids as well. So, but when you have kids, you can't not communicate. And so um, well, th what the court demanded uh, originally was a book, a book that traveled with the kids um, because he wouldn't accept like, hey, I have allergy medicine, I have this, or here's what's happening, or, you know, Nicole is sick a little bit, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we had a, a, a notebook 
that I said, you know, we said, here's what's happened with the girls today, yada, yada, yada. And, um, the, and then he would tear pages out. And then I started numbering them the entire book, you know, so if there were pages torn out. So that was, that was one way, but this is called modified no contact. You do not contact unless it's absolutely necessary. And then only the minimum you can't, I tried actually, um, convincing him when the girls would, I would travel with the girls to New York, drop them off. And then I would fly back home, then fly back, pick them up. And then, and you know, they had their own little suitcases that were cute and, you know, they bought their own little colored suitcases. He's like, no, we don't need those. I have everything for them. I'm like, well, it has their stuffed animals that they're comfortable with, you know, whatever. Nope. I don't need them. And so, um, that was, that was tough. Like oftentimes they would try to call me and he would take the battery out of their phone or not allow that, or I mean, just all kinds of things. So you have to let so much of that anger of your, your own go. You can't tell the kids, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Your dad did that. You know, that's not appropriate. Um, but you can say like, you know, we tried to find other ways like through, Holly pockets online or something you can have, you know, connect with friends or whatever, but it's, um, it is, it's incredibly difficult, but you have to try to go no contact as much as possible mm -hmm. and then do what you really need to do. And, um, you know, ultimately the girl, the, the kids mature, they start to see so people kept telling me, and I'm like, are you kidding me? They're the kids are buying into this. I hate that. And I just, it sucks. I mean, I just can imagine, did I make life worse for them? Mm -hmm. And people kept telling me, you know what? They will come to understand. They will start to see, don't worry about it. You know, don't fret, just do the best that you can be the mm -hmm. best person that you can be. And that was really the best advice. And I would give that same advice to anybody. Ultimately, your kids will come around. Yes, they might be saying right now, why are you doing that to daddy? He says you're divorcing him, yada, yada, yada. You know, that's pretty mean. Why are you being mean? And you just calmly say, I am not being mean. I'm protecting, you know, whatever. Just explain it gently in, in terms that they can understand, but not blaming the other person. You know, sometimes parents do this, et cetera. But um, ultimately, they will start to see for themselves what's happened and they will come around. I also had no, no faith that that would happen, but it has. <laughs> Kids are incredibly observant. Resilient, yes. Yeah. And we, they know more than we give them credit for. Yeah. Now, and again, pointing out, pointing out, like if this person is yelling at his wife or this, this person is not being honest or this person, you know, pointing like there are examples of that everywhere. And you could point that out and say, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. What happens when somebody does that? That's, that doesn't make the kid feel nice if the mom is yelling at him, right? No, no. So, so we need to say, you know, if something ever happened to you, you and somebody was yelling at you, you would want to protect yourself. And so all kinds of conversations like that. Let's fast forward to this exact moment, Stacy. Mm -hmm. Your girls are older. Yep. They're, you mentioned they're young adults, so they're probably getting ready to go out into the world and do great things. Absolutely. Now, you also mentioned that you have a new husband. So I do. <laughs> you have gone. You have literally run the gauntlet. 
Yes. You have gone through the emotional breakup, the technical breakup, doing everything you can to surround your daughters with solid experiences and the knowledge and wisdom so that they can make their own decisions as they get older. Yep. But somewhere throughout this journey, you found love again. Oddly enough, I did. <laughs> when, when I got divorced, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I swore I would never, I was never going to get married again. And I was perfectly happy. Now here's the, here's the key. I was perfectly happy with myself. I was building myself back up. I started to love myself, love who I was. I had a mission. I, you know, of, of writing. Cause that's what, that's what actually what got me through is writing about this tough stuff. And I'm like, this is, um, I'm, I'm living an amazing life. Got back on my feet financially, had a good job. The, the girls were doing well. And um, I had a neighbor who said, hey, I'm, I'm on uh, Match.com. You should, you should see. I'm like, I don't think so. I don't want any, any of that. I don't want to have anything to do with that at all. And um, she said, oh, just come look. And ultimately, um, I met my husband who is also at the end of his break or, you know, at the end of his healing period. So I had a healing period mm -hmm. and he had a healing period. And he, had, he was so funny. But what, before I even go further on that, I want to tell you, I meet a lot of women who are like, I miss him. I can't wait to, you know, I wish we could, I wish he would turn around and leave that other woman and come back that he's left me for. Or I just, I love him so much and I can't bear to be without him. That is a person who is stuck in codependency. Yes, I was in codependency, but I got out of codependency with the help of writing my tough life stories with the help of a counselor and my family. And I didn't need anybody else. And when you get to that point, then you know you're healed enough to go to, to look at other relationships. Because the danger is if you're not healed yet, if you're not healed um, from being that, you know, wishing for that love, wishing for that, you know, that other person to fulfill you and all of that. If you are not healed from that, you're going to get into another relationship just like that. You're going to have a knight in shining armor right in on his white horse and say, I love you. Here's let's, let's move in together. Let's do it. Like they rushed mm -hmm. the relationship. You're going to cling to that person. You're going to be you know, that companion that always gives in again to this new person. Um, he loves the movies that you love. He loves the food that you love, yada, 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 until it turns sour again, because these people have a way of sniffing out women who are vulnerable, women who are, have that codependent tendency, women who overgive, women who bend over backwards for their man. And that's not healthy. You've got to heal yourself first. You've got to love yourself. You've got to stand up for yourself enough and practice making your own decisions. Um, you, when I actually first start, got a divorce, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go to the movie. I'm going to go to a movie I want that's my choice. And then I realized I couldn't, I couldn't decide because that decision had been taken away from me for so many years I looked, I'm like, I, I don't know what movie to watch. 
like there are lots of movies out on the, and then I, I, you know, I couldn't decide what to go, where to go out to eat for dinner because that decision muscle was so weak. You need to build up that decision muscle for yourself. Find your own choices. Know what you like and don't like and stand up for those. And don't let, don't let people go further than your values. Know what your values are and don't let people go further. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that statement that it is so important to heal, to yeah. heal yourself, not the other person. Right. You can't heal the other person. Yeah. You cannot heal the other person. It is, it is not up to you to worry if they have had their cornflakes for the day. Did they forget their lunch? Did they get their medication? Yeah. It, it is nothing to do with you. So thank you for emphasizing just how critical it is when you're going through this space to heal, Absolutely. to take that time to heal yourself. And when you did that, something as simple as choosing a movie for yourself, Right, you know, And you knew that you were on that healing journey. And when you came to that place where you felt sure of yourself, you took up space, you knew exactly who you are. You were doing the things you wanted to do, doing the things you love. That's when love showed up. That's when love showed up. <laughs> crazy enough. It was, it was, it was, um, you know, it, I, I got inspired really because he had, um, had a breakup and he was so amazingly uh, gentle and non-psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> I, he, he teases, he's like, Stacy put me through psychological tests galore. And I did, I did because you know what? Here's a warning sign too that, that a lot of people need to know. When you're in a relationship and the other person tries to get your sympathy, I had such a poor childhood or I lost my job or I, and you start to feel sorry for them. That excuses some of their behavior. They fly under the radar. That's a huge red flag because then they're like, Oh, she's empathetic. She's going to bend over backwards. She's going to, and Oh, my family doesn't love me. And i just want somebody to love me. And, and if any poor sad sack story, when you're in that first, um, first few weeks of the relationship, huge, huge, huge red flag, huge red Inherently, flag. Apparently, you know, you know, you, you kind of, you can get a sense of, is this person, is it's natural to, when you're getting to know someone to exchange stories, experiences, mm -hmm. you know, I went through this, I broke a leg when I was 12, that kind of thing. That's just right. natural to do that. Right. But I know at some level, we know if our BS meter is actually quite accurate. So we can tell sometimes, but sometimes, and I know this has happened to me. Develop that, yeah. This has happened to me. I was involved with someone who, just exactly as you described, right off the bat, my sad childhood, everything happened to me, and I thought, oh, I'm going to do everything to make you better. Right, right. I can help. Just, <laughs> I can, I can totally help you with that. But yeah. and then it does a. That also is another podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> but if I, it seems like a match made in heaven in the first couple of weeks, you're, you're, it's not. 
you know, I'm just telling you. And then they rush that, you know, uh, you know, I just want to move in with you. I, I just, or my lease is up. Um, that's what mine did. My lease is up and I don't, I need a place to stay. And, and, and then, thinking, yeah, sure. I can, absolutely. sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's like downhill yeah, from there. All downhill from there. So now yeah. you've met this amazing person. Yes. You're happy. Mm-hmm. He is, he is, it has no narcissistic or sociopathic bone in his body. He loves my girls. He loves me and we have a healthy relationship. Um, what is her, uh, Natalie Hoffman has 10 things that are a hallmark of a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. You can argue and, and still respect each other. Nobody denigrates the other one. Um, there's no such thing as a put down. Why in the world would two people in a relationship, someone ever put down another person? No way. That's not normal. You do not need that in your life. And so I love her list. So maybe we can link to that or something because it really was eye-opening. When you put words to what that is, that this is a good relationship, this is a good relationship, this, you're like, Oh, I don't have any of that. I don't have that. Or yes, I do. And so I, she was on my podcast and as she was listing that, I'm like, wow, I have it all. I have it all now. And I'm so happy. And I don't, here's what I, I've told him. I said, I don't need your love, but I want your love. And I don't need to love you, but I want to love you. So it's not coming from a, a place of need. I've got to have somebody in my life. It's, he's an amazing person and we are a great fit and we have an amazing loving relationship together, equal. And um, gosh, I had never had that. And it's, it's so amazing when you do find that. Do you know what I love about this? I was, it reminds me of a conversation that I had with a good friend not too long ago. And we were talking about, my friend was single and I'm single, and we were talking about the kind of relationship that we would want next. And he was saying how he wasn't, he didn't know how evolved he wanted to get with someone. And I said, wait, let me see if I can articulate this. Cause he was having trouble putting words to it. So uh -huh. I said, I'm at the stage in my life where I can dance. I'm actually pretty good at it. Uh -huh. And I love to dance by myself, but sometimes it might be nice to dance with someone else. Right. Yeah. I like to go for walks. I love walking by myself. I'm fine with it. Sometimes it might be nice to walk alongside someone else. Absolutely. So we were, the concept was when you're sure of where you are and who you are and, and in tune with what you are, when someone else comes along, you don't need that person. Just like that line in Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Yes. You're already complete. Right. So it sounds you like even though you have gone through, like I said, the gauntlet, yeah. <laughs> you are, no matter what has happened to you in the past, you are still a whole and complete person whole and you have found person. someone to walk alongside you, to dance yeah. with you. And you it's guys funny, enjoy that. Funny you say dance because that was our theme at our wedding. We love to dance. We love to do the two-step and that's our, that's our thing. Now, here's the other thing. I just wanted to... to put this out as well. I have my own interests. I go out with my own friends and then we sometimes do things together. He has his own interests. He does, he has friends that he goes out for drinks with or whatever. It, 
we don't have to be the sole company of each other. We don't have to exclude other people, other interests, other um, things that we want to do. We're perfectly okay with, hey, you want to spend a Saturday going, you know, somewhere with your girls or with your girlfriends or whatever. And, and so it's just refreshing because I've never had that. And if you have never had that, it's something that is normal. It's something that's normal. And so you have to reorient what is normal and, and discover just, it's just a beautiful relationship when you can get to that point. So what I want everyone to take away from this conversation is that a emotional abuse is real. Mm -hmm. Abuse is not just cuts and scars and bruises, right? You can have a bruised ego, a bruised soul, a bruised mind, a bruised heart. Words can do just as much damage as they can do as much with love. Yep. The second thing is that a breakup isn't just a one-time conversation. A breakup can happen over the course of days, weeks, months, even years. And it can happen first emotionally and then the technical aspect. And if there are children involved, every effort needs to be done to secure the health, well-being, and not just the physical well-being. We're talking the emotional, psychological well-being of those children. They yeah. need to know to see that there is at least one parent in the equation who will be that encompassing world for them and that Absolutely. stability and that force with them. And most of all, just when you think that when you come out of this and you think, I can't heal, you can. Mm -hmm. Healing happens. Healing can happen. You can take this time and give yourself the space to get to know yourself again. My own likes, my dislikes. What movie am I going to see tonight? Right. What takeout <laughs> do I want tonight? Chinese, Asian, Thai, maybe just some chicken. Doesn't matter. But ultimately, did you ever think for one second, Stacey, that you would find love again? Did you ever? Never. No, think I didn't want it. I didn't, I'm like, I'm done. You know, I wasn't a man hater, but I'm like, I don't, I don't need anything else, anybody outside myself. I'm good. <laughs> so people, so it's odd thing, that I, <laughs> if there's one thing that we can take away from this conversation is that yes, you can go through the storm, but at some point the storm ends, the clouds clear and the sun shines again. Absolutely. Stacy. thank you for your, your candor, for your sharing your story with us on Dear Broken Heart today. I am so grateful to have you on the show. Absolutely. It's my privilege. Thank you. Learn more about Stacy's work on her website at www.stacybrookman.com. You can also follow Stacy on Instagram at Stacy underscore Brookman, and I'll include these links in the show notes. Tune in next week for another episode of Broken Hearted, where I'll have another unscripted conversation about heartbreak in all its forms. In the meantime, feel your pain and see what happens next. Follow me on Instagram at Althea Branton. Stay up to date with the latest news on Broken Hearted. Send me a DM. I'd love to chat.